Hello, Eugene Leventhal. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate uh, you coming Thanks out. I know it's, it's been a hectic couple of weeks. So uh, thank you for giving me some of your time. Can you please state your profession? Sure. So I currently work as a project manager on both partnerships and marketing at Carnegie Mellon University. And uh, if you were explaining it to uh, a young kid, what is that in simple terms? So I have two parts to my job because I work for, for two different parts of the university. So half my job is pretty much making connections with people who are looking at the same kind of topics related to privacy and security that we are. And I try to find connections between them, uh, you know, folks on the outside companies, government entities, et cetera, and people who are doing that kind of stuff at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, the other half of my job is producing a podcast called Consequential. I see. And uh, the more I read about you, I see that you first started off in finance. Is that correct? Yes. So my undergrad degree was from NYU, and I went to Stern and got a degree in finance, uh, double majoring in psych. And then I wanted to go into, uh, into banking or hedge funds, but I graduated in 2010, which was not a great time to go into finance. So I ended up going more into the professional services world, and I worked at a, and I worked at a recruiting company. Uh, and a staffing and consulting company. So what education do you have up to this point? I know you touched up on uh, NYU. So you graduated uh, Fairland High School. You went to NYU Stern, correct? Yeah, Fairland High School 2010. Then I went to Stern. Oh, no, excuse me, Fairland High School uh, 06, uh, NYU Stern 2010. Uh, and then I worked for seven years uh, in professional services around finance. That time was working in both New York and I spent two and a half years in Hong Kong. And then I went back to get my master's in public policy and management from the Heinz College at Carnegie Mellon University. I see. And uh, now that I started a podcast, it's really been taking up a lot of my time. So I wanted to ask you, how many hours of sleep do you get per night? I probably get around six. Mm -hmm. Are you happy with that number? No, every day I wake up, I tell myself I'm going to go to bed earlier today and try to get seven, seven and a half, maybe eight. And I usually somehow I'm still up later than I intend to be. Mm -hmm. So do you have time to spend uh, with family and friends? Does work uh, keep you back uh, over the weekends or uh, late at night? Um, or do you have time to reach out to, to people? Yeah, I think one of the benefits of working at a place uh, like Carnegie Mellon or in general working in academia is that it's a very different culture than what you have in the corporate environment. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, our focus is always to provide more education, to create more research. Uh, and so there's always, you know, there's still people who will work just as much as at any at any other type of institution. But I think the general culture about it is that it's okay to kind of balance things out more for yourself and do things on your own timeline. And that's something that I really appreciate. Um, and I realize that's not the case for all positions, but at least for me with the, with the focus of my job. I see. Um, so just to clarify, uh, you work at Carnegie Mellon blockchain field, but your podcast, that is uh, separate from uh, uh, Carnegie Mellon or is that within the uh, university? So yeah, just to clarify there, so I, I, the podcast I do is technically for the Block Center for Technology and Society. Uh, that's a Carnegie Mellon-wide research center. Uh, and I specifically work within Heinz College, which is where I graduated from. 
the other half of my job, the part where you know I, some of it is focused on blockchain, but I also look at IoT and artificial intelligence. Again, from the partnership perspective of trying to build community in those areas and trying to connect the you know the internal research with potential external folks. Um, so yeah, that's that's the side of my job where I get to focus on blockchain. But the podcast that I do for work is not related to that at all. We more look at uh, data, privacy, AI, emerging tech in general. Uh, maybe we'll cover it at some point, but we haven't done it yet. And then I also have a personal podcast, which is totally unrelated to both of those topics. Got it. Got it. So uh, what type of personality do you need to uh, to have to be successful in this field? Are you more of a people's person, an introvert, um, or would you call yourself a little bit of both? Yes, yeah, so I think that, you know, the way I the way I've structured, structured my job and been fortunate enough to have the opportunity to work in, in this place and structure it this way is that I can kind of have a mix for both the introverted and extroverted sides of myself. Uh, on the one hand, you know, especially on the partnership side, uh, it's always coordinating with people. It's meeting up with people. It's discussing what they're working on, what they're interested in, trying to think of how to make connections between those two. So there's definitely a very extroverted and social component. Uh, and I would say that's, you know, of the same vein as any kind of partnership, business development, uh, any kind of, uh, and even venturing, you know, then on the same spectrum as sales of these kind of jobs that are very focused on connecting with, uh, with people from other companies, just all for a variety of different reasons. Mm -hmm. On the podcast side, it can really depend. You know, in the times when I work with uh, with Lauren, who uh, Lauren Prastian, who's the writer and main host, uh, you know, when we're working together uh, on something about the podcast, obviously that's still an extroverted side. We're collaborating, but then you know, when there's times of me just working on the actual episode or uh, coordinating with uh, our now former intern on the production side, and that can be you know a day just behind the laptop playing around with audio files. So. Uh, I appreciate that mix because I do like getting to talk to people on the one hand, but I also do like getting a chance to step back, think about things, uh, and just have some time to kind of work on some things directly, yeah, that I'm in control of. I know a lot of the teenagers that listen to this podcast, they like this question. So what is the best and the worst career decision you've ever made? If there is the such a best great... and the worst career decision I've ever made. Yeah. Interesting. So I would for best I would have to can I can I cheat and, and quickly give a, a tie for two because I think there were two that were pivotal. Of course. One is when I with my first job, uh, I just got a job at a recruiting company that wasn't exactly what I wanted to do. It was with a company called Options Group. Uh, but the people there were, it, it was a great environment for me. The people I was working with were great, very supportive. Uh, and it was a fun place to be for where I was then. But I, I kind of started talking to them about the idea of me moving to the Hong Kong office and helping transition the role that I was doing and was established in New York, saying that like, hey, no one's doing this in Hong Kong. How about you send me out there instead of hiring people there and getting them to build it up? I don't know if courage is necessarily the right word, but uh, being willing to just say that like, hey, throw me into something unknown. It's okay if I don't know anyone in, in Hong Kong. It's okay if I've only been there once with a school trip. It's okay if uh, I, I don't really have an established life there. Let's just see where things take me. Uh, and it just felt very right, uh, which relates to the second thing, which was at closer to the time uh, as I was getting close to the end of my time of my second job uh, with RGP. I decided to take a month 
pretty much take a, a month off and go to Medellin in Colombia with this group called Unsettled. And it was this remote uh, co-working trip. And it was fantastic. And that was right at the time kind of when I was deciding to transition to go back to grad school. And yeah, just the way things planned out, it was the perfect thing to seal the deal. So I would say that it's very easy to just get lost in the, hey, I have these long-term career goals that my parents, my family, my culture, et cetera, have helped me plan out. But inevitably, you're going to have times in your life where part of you is like, why the heck am I doing this? I want to be doing something totally different. I want to fly somewhere else. I want to do something crazy. And I mean, I think the, you know, your 20s, the first five, 10 years of your career, is the, it's the best time to do that. Um, I mean, it's always good to take calculated risks. Don't just do, you know, things totally out of the blue. But, you know, if you get an urge, look into it, try to plan it, you know, think about it for a couple of months and see if you can make it a reality. And it's okay if you're scared. A lot of the time it's horrifying going into it. Uh, it was for both of those for me. But, you know, looking back on it, I'm, uh, I, I can't imagine my life now had I not done those things. Yeah. And the more I listen to your story, uh, the more I understand how travel was just a big aspect of, uh, of many of your decisions. And currently right now, especially for the seniors and juniors, they're thinking of taking a, a gap year um, uh, right before college. So could you just speak to the power of travel and whether or not teenagers should really consider taking gap years and uh, stepping out of their comfort zone? If I mean, hopefully if travel opens up soon, but uh, could you speak to what travel did um, for you and how it changed uh, your perspective on things? Absolutely. And I'll say two signs to it there. One, and you're, you're getting at it. The fact that like the general discussion of the benefit of a potential gap year separate from a gap year in the context of coronavirus and what that means in the next 12 months. In general, I am very pro the idea of a gap year. Do I like the idea of a gap year of, hey, I don't feel like I want to go to college yet. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to hang out. Definitely not. You know, don't do it just because you're unsure. Um, you know, if you want to get a job instead, if you want to travel instead, if you want to sign up for some kind of organization, volunteer work. Uh, I remember at one of the jobs where I was, for both of my jobs, I would manage the summer internship program. Uh, and one of the interns that I met uh, was someone who had taken a gap year, went to Denali in Alaska, and then I believe the other half was in Wyoming or somewhere along those lines. But he went to be a ranch hand and work on a ranch. Uh, and he was like, when, you know, these are things that I've thought about. When am I ever going to do that once I need to start paying for things, which I thought was super smart. And he was one of the m more mature 20 year olds that I ever had the, the pleasure of interviewing uh, and kind of talking to through the process. So, yeah, I think that, you know, in general, a structured gap year and I don't mean structure where you literally need to plan out every single second of the day. That, that's probably missing the point. But you need a general structure. You need a goal in mind. You need to say that, like, hey, I want to get a job. I want to go volunteer somewhere. I found an exchange program. I want like you need something to do. Uh, at least I know myself. If I just took a gap year with no plan. Yeah, that would not end well. That would, uh, yeah, my mental, my depression would go through the roof and like all these other issues would start coming up for me. So I know, I think that if you have something you're really dying to do, whether it's, you know, really focus on a project, travel, something like that, and you can structure it. Uh, yeah, then I think gap year is a smart thing to consider. In terms of what it means right now for COVID, though, you know, this throws a huge wrench into things. I'm personally probably not going to be on an airplane at least till the end of the year, right? So if I took a gap year with the intention to travel and I can't travel for the first half of it, I'd start getting worried about why I'm taking the gap year. 
So I think that in this context, uh, again, if I was back in, you know, if I could talk to my 18-year-old self right now, I would be encouraging uh, him or anyone at that age to pretty much try to work on whatever your passions are. Think on, Think of what's the closest thing you could play around with. You know, the beauty of tech is that you have so many things at your fingertips right now. You could launch a podcast within a couple hours. You could start a YouTube series. You could learn how to pick up any graphic design, whatever. Like there's so many things you could learn just by sitting at home. Uh, you might just need some uh, willing to spend the time to find something that you're excited about. But if you could find something that you're really passionate about, that you could really be proud of that you spent a year doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a gap year is a great idea. I see. Yeah, thank you for that. I know we, we took a little sidetrack, but I think it's very important right now, especially um, for seniors and juniors, because it's it's going to become reality pretty soon. And it's a major decision in our uh, academic career. So could you uh, just explain to me a typical day for you since the moment you wake up till the moment uh, your uh, your head um, hits the bed? So I'm someone who's not great at very consistent routine. I don't like my day looks the same every single day. I'm not good at that. So my days will be a mix of things. Uh, and that's part of why I really love my job and, and this kind of split opportunity that I have. You know, any day I could wake up, I might have some meetings first thing in the morning, uh, like usually on a Monday morning, I have some, and Tuesdays, uh, I'll have some team meetings just to catch up, settle where we're at overall, what are we planning, who's working on what, making sure that we're all on the same page, then you know I have to focus on connecting with people. I project manage this one initiative that we have uh, within Scilab that's focused on IoT. So there's a lot of uh, coordination, administration, talking to people, planning, organizing, scheduling. You know, on the podcast side, it can range from uh, having to research random topics. Like uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had to research what different kind of policy implicate what, what different kind of privacy laws apply to healthcare as we're starting to thinking of views of contact tracing and whatnot. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I get this wonderful opportunity where, you know, one day I could be reading articles about what's going on with COVID and how universities can help respond to it. Another day I could be reading about blockchain and reaching out to those startups from, a, you know, is there a way to coordinate on a research perspective? Uh, I could get to plan events and everything, uh, or not everything, but I get to plan events and different kinds of seminars and, and whatnot as well. So I think it's part of the big thing for me, too, is I also have the excuse to then talk to, you know, awesome students, faculty members, other uh, staff members working at university. So I, I feel very privilege to be at the kind of position I'm in. Mm -hmm. Got it. So uh, what kind of accomplishments tend to be valued and rewarded in this field? So in terms of, so I'll have to answer that for each half of my job. In terms of partnerships or any kind of, you know, biz dev sales and anything of that kind of vein, you know, there are goals to increase your amount of relationships, uh, whether that's you know, uh, find more people who are interested in research, whether that's create more projects, whether that's, you know, uh, outside of the context of a university, but then it's like, you know, get more sales or do other things. So, you know, on the partnership side, it's usually have more relationships, have more connections, try to build meaningful relationships and find more opportunities for to advance the work that you're doing. Um, in terms of the podcast side, 
I mean, that can look really different and it depends what role you have. So part of it is just like getting a podcast off the ground and, you know, making sure that uh, all of the logistical things are in place and that there's a project plan in place. Um, the other things are just like making sure that other team members have everything they need to succeed and just being a support member. Uh, sometimes it's like, hey, taking the lead with we have this issue and figuring out what's going on there. So uh, I, I think in general, when it comes to something that's more of a creative type of job that's you know in the world of podcasting or anything along those lines i think there's a lot more scrappiness to it like you have to be willing to deal with more kinds of random things coming up all the time uh, especially if you work in like startups also that's the case where you can literally be dealing with any kind of task that the business is related to but i think you know especially creative uh, not just in the context of a university, but the teams will generally have less of a budget to work with. So everyone has to kind of be doing more. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, I think that different types of people can be attracted to different, uh, different sides of that. Oh, and just one other thing on the podcasting. I mean, obviously it's also reaching people. So once you make something, it's then thinking of what else can you create or who else can you connect with or where else can you get your work highlighted to extend the reach mm -hmm. of your work. Yeah, so there's that marketing uh, aspect to it. Absolutely. So this one's a, a bit of a tricky question, but uh, if you had a magic wand uh, which allowed you to make all teenagers listen to you, uh, what would be your words of wisdom? Oh, what would be my words of wisdom? I feel like this is a bit trite. And I know when people told me this, I did not really pay attention to this because of how many times I heard this when I was younger, but I really wish I did now. Um, not just the idea of don't waste your time, but when you have that little voice inside your head that says, hey, that thing's kind of cool, or I kind of want to learn a little more about that. You know, For me, that was always like learning more about history or just wanting to spend time writing or these things that I was like, huh. Those things sound cool. I appreciate when I hear other people talking about it. I don't immediately check out when I hear that. But as soon as I thought of me doing that thing, I was like, no, what am I like? I'm not a creative. I'm not a historian. I'm not a this. I'm not a that. And plus, it's just more fun to go hang out with the boys or hang out with the friends or get, you know, go out and do something together. And, you know, whatever that might be. And that distraction was real. I was socializing a lot more <laughs> at the age of 18 than I am now. Um, and you know, I, on the one hand, I, I wish that I had spent some more of that time uh, really ironing out my, or not ironing out, but just play, testing my passions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, it, it's a shame to me that I only figured out the things that I really care about and love in the last two to three years. You know, why did I have to wait till I was 28 to 31 to figure out what I'm most interested in in life? You know, what, why I could have easily done that 10 years ago if instead of just spending all the time that I did hanging out, spend, you know, three quarters of it or half of it. So I, I think that, yeah, that, that was something that I just really, it didn't make sense until I felt like I didn't have enough time. And then all of a sudden, for me, the shift slowly started happening when I was like 23 to 25. And especially once I moved to Hong Kong and I always wanted to travel and I wanted to learn more and I wanted to advance my career. And I started realizing that there really are only 24 hours in a day and I can't just keep saying I'm going to do it tomorrow. Um, yeah, at a certain point, the the limited amount of time really starts setting in. So the, the earlier you could be like, you know what, I'll spend an hour of my five hours today doing something 
new or something that I know I want to try, but I just haven't paid attention to yet, um, your, your future self will, will most likely really be appreciative of it. Got it. Got it. Um, so uh, last question to wrap this up. If, uh, if you could do it all over again, uh, would you choose the same path for yourself? And uh, if not, uh, what would you change? Oh, that's a hard one. On the one hand, I like believing in no regrets. Uh, mm-hmm. On the other hand, I if I was actually 18 right now, you know, 16, 17, 18, whatever, and planning my of where I want to apply and what I want to study, real, knowing what I know now, I would definitely not go into finance. Um, okay. I, I personally think that yeah, for, for my own interest, I think that I would do a mix of some kind of either computer science or data science degree and some kind of either journalism or uh, sound engineering or music production or something like that. So some kind of mix of a technical and a creative field. Um, you know, I, I don't have I, I think there are a, a bunch of fantastic careers in the world of finance. I just think that no matter what job you want to do in finance, uh, you're more likely going to be better suited with a data science degree, a math degree, a physics degree, a computer science degree, or any kind of hard STEM field as opposed to just a finance degree. And even I know in talking to some of my friends who are doing their MBAs and whatnot, I mean, a bunch of their classes are just Python, are like playing around with, or not playing around, doing analysis with different languages. Uh, so the, the sooner you start getting into that, uh, if you do want to work in finance or in policy, or really anywhere where you have to make decisions based on things that have happened uh, and you want it to be based on fact and not just people's assumptions, uh, you're going to need to learn how to code. So the sooner you start learning something like Python or R, or, or, uh, yeah, you're probably going to have to do it in the next five, 10 years anyway. So just the sooner it'll be, the sooner you start, the easier it'll be. Okay. Eugene Leventhal, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Stay safe and healthy. I hope to speak to you in person soon. My pleasure. All right. Take care. You too. Be well, Aaron.